Thank you to everyone who is helping us with our transcripts. You're doing a great job helping us make sure they're published together with the podcast. If you'd also like to help out with publishing the podcast or even with gathering links for the show notes, just email us at hey at uxpodcast.com. H-E-Y or H-A-J. UX Podcast Episode 285. Hello everybody, welcome to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, James Royal Lawson and Pat Axbom. And we're balancing business, technology, people and society with listeners all over the world, from Malta to Turkmenistan. And today we are joined by Christopher McCann. He's an individual, team and leadership coach. He's also a design leader and educator. Christopher has not only joined us as a guest on one of the earliest UX podcast episodes, I think it was episode number six, he's also featured as a co-host in a number of shows, including Communicating Design Decisions with Tom Griever and The Build Trap with Melissa Berry. He also happens to be the person who introduced you and myself to each other. That is true. Yeah. But today, though, um, our topic is not about how long Chris has been involved in the podcast or where we met or how we met, it's actually going to be brainstorming. And what could one possibly say about brainstorming? Turns out, quite a lot. Now, this is, this is got to get this in my head right now. So, Chris, you've joined us a fair few times on the podcast, but the last time you were on the podcast... You, Per, weren't on the podcast. Exactly. That's right. That's yeah. right. Because me and you, Chris, we interviewed... Melissa Perry. Yeah. Lovely woman. Three years ago now. Yes. Yeah. Well, welcome back again, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Well, what we're going to talk about today, though, is brainstorming. Now, uh, my, uh, I think that brainstorming seems to have got a bit of a bad rap in recent years. I've been noticing stuff that's... that's dissing brainstorming a bit and coming with criticisms about why it's not necessarily a great method to deploy um one of the i mean one of the ones i can think of the criticisms i can think of is um that it's it generally they can be very dominant characters that take over brainstorming meetings so you don't actually brainstorm very much you end up just amplifying the ideas of a particular individual but it also feels like you're forcing people, oh, now you have to be here and think and come up with ideas. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the environment's really important. But I think you have, to, you have to take one step back and you say, ask yourself, what are you doing brainstorming for? I mean, what do you, what do you want to get out of it? Um, I mean, brainstorming was designed in you know, the late 40s um, by ad men um, to generate lots of ideas. And, and they decided, a fellow named Alex Osborne decided that the best way to do it was to not criticize um, and, you know, not have any sort of judgment. Um, and I think that worked. Um, but I think now we want to do something with our ideas. So there's a little bit different. Um, I think we've come longer in our thinking around creative thinking. Uh, and there's been a lot more research. So I think... There's ways of engineering out some of the limitations of um, brainstorming, like you mentioned, forcing people to, to talk. 
And I think that's one of the big weaknesses. It's the social aspect of it. We want to get along with people. You, want to, you don't want to disagree necessarily. So the brainstorming, classic brainstorming session would, would put you in a position where you're likely to agree with someone's idea that they suggest. Right. Rather than... Even though you're not, either even even though you're supposed to defer judgment, let's. This is my view of brainstorming. You get a bunch of smart people together. I think in in Alex Osborne's book, it was like ten people, ten ad men, and they just fire out ideas. Ten ad men, the same age. Pretty much, yeah. Probably demographic. Exactly. Right. This this was 1948 when he wrote the book. So, so, and we and we watched we watched Mad Men, the TV show. So you you do the math. So. You have a lot of people, although there was Peggy in there on Mad Men, the show, which, which was good. So, you know, you, you're just blowing out all these ideas. And if you had, if you have them, if the, like the highest paid person's in the room, um, you're going to fall into um, a social construct that's going to benefit you. We're social animals. We don't want to not be in the group. So you're going to self-censor yourself quite easily there. So, so the result is not actually producing not the idea, idealization, the producing of ideas, the brainstorming doesn't happen. Well, people, people sell stuff to themselves. So they're, they're not going to give you those crazy ideas because they're going to think it's, even though they're not supposed to, you know, you know, you get the eye rolling, you get the little smirk. Um, uh, so you, you're going to get people, people will, will limit themselves. They won't go crazy. Um, you're not going to go crazy with your boss in a room, uh, Depend, this, but this comes down to really how does a group have any relationship with one another? How do they get along? How, they, how, how open is a communication? How much psychological safety do they have? I think a lot of these things play a part into um, the classic form of brainstorming. So what I'm hearing is like from when it was kind of invented, the purpose of brainstorming has also shifted to what you were saying. We actually want to produce something in the end or make something happen in the end. Uh, whereas they were perhaps brainstorming just ideas for ads. <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. I mean, he, has, he doesn't go into details in his book um, it, that much more. But to me, I mean, that's, I think, so my, one of the limits of it is the social aspect of it, um, f- for sure. Um, and then the other one is, is that it's just an idea. You don't, you don't do anything with it. That's kind of part two. Um, so you're in some ways wasting a, an opportunity because when you merge different ideas from a lot of different sources is that you're going to get better ideas. So there's no collaboration. Um, so if we, and if we go back to the sort of the social aspect, one of the weaknesses that I see a lot in both brainstorming and any other kind of creative activity is really you need to have a good facilitator because a good facilitator will be able to um, manage the situation so you don't have one person who takes up all the space. So you call, you can invite some of the more quiet people um, to, to speak. Um, so there's, there's ways, I think this is the biggest challenge is I've been to many, many, many brainstorming sessions where the people that are facilitating it just don't really have the knowledge or the skills to facilitate it well. Sometimes they're actually from within the same company. Usually. So there's also this power imbalance stu- social re- structure right. as well. It's very often yeah. the CEO or the, the highest paid person mm-hmm. going to say, now we're going to brainstorm. And everyone's like, okay, great. Uh, what should we do now? So, I mean, there's lots of ways you can get around that too. I mean, there's, um, there's a lot of tools from liberating structures, for example, which we can, um, we, we can add in the show notes. 
and they have their, you know, the classic one, two, four, all. And the idea is that you let people individually come up with some ideas, then you pair them up so they're two people, and then they work and they distill their ideas together. And then you do take this two, that pair and they join up with another two people, and then they, they join together and synthesize their ideas, and then you share it with the rest of the group. Now, the value of this one is, first of all, you let people do it by themselves first. So they do it silently. So there's no judgment. And people that are quiet, people that don't feel like being, you know, introverts, this is a great way of getting, getting value from, you know, somebody having, hearing their opinions. And then you start to collaborate. You're going you're gonna to merge them together. And when you start merging ideas together, that's when you get, that's when the real, the real magic happens. And you keep doing that in larger and larger groups and then, until you get to the, the entire group. Um, so that's one way of, of managing this, this particular uh, social aspect of brainstorming. So starting off as individuals, so you kind of like work, work with you your work, own you mind. Work, you work, work by yourself, yeah. right. Is that something you would do um, in the brainstorming session or would you, would you do it as like homework a, a, a or pre- preparation? You, 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 could, you could do it like that. Um, but what I, I, tend to, I tend to do time everything. Um, and so I think... Um, people can produce a lot more things in a more in a limited amount of time than they think they can. So that's typically what I like to do. You could give it as a homework assignment. I mean, do you, have you yeah. noticed any kind of? I think about quality of result or kind of how long you come. Do, do you get further by having them do it as homework before the session, or do you actually generally come to the same quality of result anyway, even if you yeah. do it in the session? I think in the session you're forcing them to do it. I think if you give it as homework. My experience is that 50% won't do it. Right. Um, and then you'll have that power imbalance again because some people will spend two hours on it and yeah. they'll come with all these notes and yeah. all, all right. of a sudden they have which the is upper t- hand. Which is typically what happens. So someone will come in and they'll have like, like 30 post-it notes and another person will come in and it'll be you know, like maybe one or none or my dog ate it or any other sort of excuse. Oh, that's know. really interesting what you said about the post-it notes now because I've been in a lot of workshops where people actually keep glancing at each other because everybody's writing post-it notes. Oh, that person has written seven and I've only written exactly. two. Exactly. And that, I guess, is, is the facilitator's job then to help people feel comfortable with that di- difference. Exactly. And, that, and that, that's definitely a, a risk. If, if, if you have them together, then they can see, oh, that you did 10 and I only did two. Because, again, we're, all, we're putting ourselves in a group. You're comparing yourself to people and other people in a group. You want to stay in a group. So if one person, if 60% of the group have done 10 and you did two, you're like, oh, shit, I'm going to get kicked out of my group. Mm-hmm. And this is from biology. This is from you know, our time on the savannah when you got kicked out of the group, you died. So we have that still in our bodies, in, our, in the way we think. And so you need to, that's not going to disappear in the next 100,000 years probably. So we need to find a way to manage that today in 2022. So how do you switch the focus to what you're actually trying to achieve? Because I mean, brainstorming, I mean, what, what the hell's brainstorming? What are we brainstorming about? I mean, and how do, you, how do you then stop the inward looking aspect or the, the kind of individualistic behavior and the group behavior? How, how do you actually turn the focus? Well, I mean, for, I had a, there's a couple, I can say a couple things about that. First, before I do, I would do a brainstorming and I really wouldn't call it a brainstorming because that, that's loaded with a lot of um, beliefs, limiting beliefs, I would even say. I would advise having what I call question storming. And typically, and this is a way of saying, to ensure what we're working on is the right thing what we're working on. 
we're really quick to get into the solution side of things when we're when we're managing a problem. We think we know what the problem is, so let's get some let's get some solutions out there. You know, blah, 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 blah. but if you have a question storming, which is a is a good first thing, is saying, okay, what questions? Let's generate some questions about this this area that we want to develop a solution around that can clarify this more. What questions should we have there? And that's a really great way of sparking this um, this process where you you can actually define and even question assumptions about what we're working on or preparing to work on in a different way. Um, so I really like to do you that first. Ha asking some good questions might trigger an insight that maybe this isn't the right problem, the problem is something else. And then you can go and have another generative session around you know, working with some solutions to, to manage that. I love that. Question yeah. storming. Yeah, exactly. And uh, because that also circles back to what you were saying before, we need to be aware of what are we trying to get out of the brainstorming session because people come up with all these ideas. Oh, so they, today we're brainstorming about this and I have all these ideas about solutions. But in fact, not everybody has the same idea of what we're trying to solve. Right. So in a, another way of doing that is you can, you can ask a question before you even start a brainstorming. And this is, again, this is, you'll notice that these are all facilitative tools. This is what someone who from the outside should really be in there saying, okay, what do you want to get out of this, this, this hour together? To all of the people in the, in, in the group, you know, and, and ask them, what do you want to get out of this? And, you know, people are going to be honest. Some, some people aren't going to be honest. You know, some people might say, I don't really want to even want to be here because this is complete bullshit. Yeah. Well, that's information and you can work with that too. Um, but if you, if you're getting a lot of different answers, your expectations are, are different. And then whatever, if you're not sensitive to that, what you leave the meeting with is not going to be in line with what certain people are expecting. And then people are going to have negative negative thoughts about that, or this was a waste of time, or this was really valuable, or things like that. So, I mean, part of it is, you know, when you when you're working with a group, you you want to design how you're going to work together. You know, um, how you're going to speak together. Um, what do we do if we disagree? What do we do? All these things. Um, again, I'm going back to facilitation because that's really where I see the weakness in the brainstorming sessions I've been involved with. And that makes me think that the session begins far, far before the session takes place because you actually have to start preparing people for what's going to happen, what do I expect of you, uh, how are we going to work together. So the better you're do at doing that, the better, of course, the session will work. Absolutely, absolutely. Again, so we're when, and to me, what you're describing there is, is some, a good facilitation where you did some pre-work and decided, okay, this is where what we, this is, let's see where we are at, where we want to go, how do I draw people into the conversation, how do I make sure we, we keep aligned? Um, what do I do if there's a, a disagreement? Um, all those different things. Absolutely. Preparation. Hmm. Speaking of preparation, it makes, makes me think about like research. So I guess if you've, if you've done some actual research around a topic, um, how does that weave into or end up being a brainstorming session. If you end up at a brainstorming session, but you do have some research, is there a risk that you're you're ignoring that research, you're conflicting with it, um, or it's? The, I think I think I'm asking more like, is there a time? When do you know it's the right time and place for a brainstorming session? That's probably the question I'm really asking. Mm. Yeah, but then we're not. Then I would choose to use different words for what I'm what you're talking about. To me. Research would probably be um, an input to to brainstorming. Um, 
insights that we know about the problem that we learn from research. Um, I, th I think, Chris, maybe it's, it's just that experience of we've been, it's been used as a substitute for research so many times. And we can, we'll solve this with a brainstorming session. Right. So you we'll put our minds yeah. together. It's yeah. like a focus group almost. We're going to come together. Yeah. We're going to work this out. Whereas the true thing you should be doing is probably some, some proper deep research about the problem space before sure, you start working I mean, on solutions. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's a weakness from, for most of these innovation processes or design processes or anything. If you do it, if you're ignorant to the, what the real problem is or the people around it or how it's going to influence the people, the environment, the system, I think I'll throw that in there because you have to think about a larger context than just the person or the group. Um, if you're doing that ignorant, then you know it's kind of like garbage in, garbage out. You're you're not going to get a solution, or the ideas you come up with aren't going to be really relevant to solving the problem. Um, you know, but again, this is this is the classic you know empathize step of any of the design thinking. Um, is to understand, you know, the context, the people, um, the system of, of the problem. And if you choose not to do that, then, well, you're definitely not going to be user-centered. <laughs> but you're going to go forward. Yes, you will make progress, but progress towards what? That's, that's my question. Is, I mean, and then, then, we're, then we can come in, and I don't really want to talk too much about this, but then it's theater, in my opinion. It's just, I'm going to do the thing, and I can say I checked off the box, but we're really going to do the stuff we thought about anyway. Um, from the stakeholders who, who are sort of guiding our work. It's interesting because uh, I think a, a lot of ways people address this is they say, well, we, we bring in diversity. We bring in lots more different people with different experiences. But then that takes me back to, well, then you still have the power imbalance and the power structures playing in. So it really doesn't matter if you bring them all in unless you actually are able to help them all speak their own truths. Absolutely. And I, I think diversity also, that's a really good, because I think you want to get a variety of ideas. I mean, if you look at the research behind a lot of this, because, the, I mean, he did this in 1948. Uh, the first study around, um, around this brainstorming idea was done in 58, I think. And then it's been done per periodically since then. And you've learned a lot about this, is that you need to have diverse ideas, because if everyone has the same ideas, then it's pretty uniform. And you also need to have perspectives from completely not the same place. So if you go back to how it was created with a bunch of admin, so basically it, that was a pretty uniform group. So you want, what you want to do is you want to pull in someone who is not an admin <laughs> at all, uh, who is you know, working at the local shop down in the corner or um, you know, someone from a completely different socioeconomic background. And that's when you're going to get the really good ideas because they're going to be very different and then you need to have some kind of way for them to talk about, to collaborate, to take bits and pieces from each one of the ideas and move them, put them together. And then you're going to get, that's when you really get the, the innovative ideas. Cross yeah. And I would say the, the biggest, I mean, for me, one of the, the best ways of doing it is, is just to get a lot of information in your head, to read a lot of different subjects. Um, there was a study, uh, well, there was a place in MIT and after the Second World War called Building 20. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, nope. That's when Noam Chomsky uh, developed his, his theories about learning. And that was a, a barrack, basically, from the Second World War that was built at MIT. And it was a pretty crappy building, basically. And they had a lot of different people were working there, a lot of different scientists. They had authors. They had all these different people. 
And um, the stuff that came out of that lab was incredible. So they, they said, why is this working? And the real reason is that you could have Noam Chomsky walking down, talking to an astrophysicist, talking to a behavior psychologist, uh, looking for the, the, where, the, where the coffee machine was and run into each other and, and talk about things. And that is where the real idea generation happens, where you get different perspectives, completely non-related, um, and say, yeah, okay, great, let's, let's, let's talk about this and share you know, my perspective with your perspective. And, see, and then that's when stuff happens. But also the other thing there was at that where is there is there was a lot of downtime for people the when they to get a good idea that's what I call the information gathering stage but then you need to say okay I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to just chill out now it needs to percolate as I call it just like a good cup of coffee and that's what this building 20 allowed so um interesting interesting study that is really I mean from the design profession perspective for me that is so important because that's something we talk so much about that just allowing stuff to just go for a walk but it's so hard to argue <laughs> within your within the sphere of your of your workplace that oh i need to go for a walk and i'm i'm still going to cost money it's, i'm still working but i'm just going to go for a walk because that will make my results better how do we even argue for that? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that, I, that's a good point, especially as a consultant. You're going to yeah. say, okay, I'm charging you three hours yeah. extra for me to hang take out a walk, and, yeah. and take a walk or go with my dog or, yeah. or you know, do some gardening or something like that. In some ways, that's the, that's the challenge of using our, what I'll call our um, factory mentality of, of work is, you know, you stand there and you do your thing and you pass it on to the next person. It's, um, when you're doing knowledge work, it's not physical anymore. You're using your brain. So if you look at the research, how you use your brain, of course you need to have downtime to do that. There, there's a lot of studies um, that, that support that. So, I mean, that's just how, that's just how the human brain works. That's the, how the machine works that we're trying, trying to manage. So, um, but people in organizations, still we still tend to organize our work around the sort of the the factory um, assembly line model, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm. I was thinking, reflecting back as well, what you said about um, so diversity. Diversity is that one of those words that's, um, there's, there's lots of different flavors of it. And, yeah. But the automatic one, I think what you were referring to with diversity pair was, was um, um, the kind of, I suppose, classic diversity of, of maybe different ethnic groups or, or neurodiversity perhaps as well. Um, whereas what we're, we're it can be anything. Uh, really. Yeah, but yeah. what, what we're talking anything, about here yeah. is, is uh, um, absolutely, and that's I think that's the real point about it that we're talking about um, diversity of experience, diverse intellectual diversity as well as so, so diversity on all fronts. Absolutely, it could be age. You know, you you can you can have children involved. Um, you know, it can be different different groups from different countries. Um, you know, d definitely different backgrounds. I mean, anything where you're going to get someone who has different life experiences is going to look at something and say, hey, this is my perspective. Because everyone's going to have a different perspective. And there, there's going to be some value in, in everything. No one perspective is, is the best. So, um, and I, I think sometimes when I, when I see what's happening in the design world, at least what I see in Sweden, is, it, is it's, it's we, everyone reads the same books. Everyone goes to the same conferences. Everyone does the same things, uh, you know, listen to the same podcasts, except this one, of course. This one's very diverse. Um, <laughs> uh, and and you, you tend to say, you know, you tend to, you know, get your information from a, a very, uh, a, like a, a bit of a bubble. 
So my question is, is, you know, is you need to go, you need to start reading magazines that you would never, ever consider reading. Um, for me, um, I, if I, if I can, if I go to the dentist's office, uh, and there's a book on, there's a, there's a magazine on like sailing or cars or things that I'm completely not interested in. Those are what I, those are what I would grab and to read. And why, why would I do that? A, because I know nothing about cars or sports or boats, but I guarantee you that there's a, a problem in there for a boat owner that's been solved in a way that it, that's interesting in another area that I'm working on. And that's really, it's really come in handy with me through most of my, my career. And so I would invite everyone, read something that you're not interested in, and even something that you would almost say that you would hate and see what happens. Oh, this is, this is, oh, this nice. is a really interesting yeah. dichotomy because, of course, as, a, as an industry... We're, we're constantly striving after the ready solution. You know, we've got ready-made design systems. We've got kind of ready-made templates. We've got patterns for, for interaction. We've got, we're constantly hunting for that definitive answer. Yet what we're saying is what you need is the complete opposite in many, many times, many situations. Well, I think there we're talking about two slightly different things. There you're talking about produ- the conflated, I think. Pr- production of design. To me, that, those, those are production of design. Um, at one point, you had to think up what was going to be in the design system. That's design. The production of making something a consistency, consistent, a consistent interface, you're going to need to use your design system. But that was thought up. Those design solutions were thought up at one point. That's design. There's a distinction there. Oh, are we just Googling all the time? It seems you don't, you're not actually doing the idea, idealization. You're actually, when you're supposed to be thinking of something, you're actually just searching. Okay. And you're solving the new problem. So yeah, I have yeah. this problem and I have all these tools that we came up with two years, three years ago. I'm going to use those to apply to this problem, even mm-hmm. though the problem may not actually be something that can be solved with those tools. Yeah. Someone must have yeah. done this before. Yeah. And, and that's, I had no problems. I think that's good. But that's when you have, that's, that's what I'll call part of the information gathering stage. But then you need to let that percolate. I, there, one of my favorite, uh, uh, my uh, artist type face persons is Eric Beekerman, and he um, he tells a story about how when he was he has designed many famous typefaces, um, and he would basically to design a new typeface he would go visit um, go to visit a couple of different uh, small towns, and look at what typeface was most popular there. Um, now this is he he grew up in Germany. Um, when you say most popular, that I mean he's he's kind of like looking at yeah, look, looking, at the, fronts, looking at the typefaces exactly. Right. He'd just go and get a bunch of different a bunch of different. He would wander around and get a bunch of different typeface inspirations, and then he would wait a week. He would wait a week, and then he would try to recreate what he remembered a week ago. And that would always be something new, but with the inspiration of what he saw on those trips. So what I would suggest is you do the same thing with all the things you're looking at, all these different, uh, all these different types of interface designs or whatever other people have done. Do that. Go out. Make notes. M- make notes in your notebook. Remember them, the ones that moved you. Put them in a notebook. Close it for a week, two weeks, and then think back what you what you thought, what you experienced, and what you remember from that, and form it into something new. And I guarantee you that will be a completely new design. So we're, we're, we're seeding rather than replicating. Right. You're, you're, letting, you're letting your subconscious 
It's the downtime. You're letting your subconscious percolate, go over these things. You're going to remember certain things because they resonated with you, certain details. Um, and then other ones you're going to, other ones you're going to forget or let, they're going to become less important. And what you come up with will be something new, I guarantee you. And then circling back to the organization where we're doing the brainstorming, I mean, it takes a special kind of organization to allow for that space, that percolating, as you're uh, alluding to. But also with everything we've said now, with all the ideas that we're bringing in and getting fantastic new ideas from, from all these different people with different backgrounds and experiences, how do we ensure then, because now we've talked about before the brainstorming, during the brainstorming, what happens after the brainstorming? How do you make sure that we take care of all these ideas? How do you make sure everybody feels that it was worthwhile? Do we even have the vocabulary to understand what people were saying and, and about their experiences? Because we don't have them. Are we sure that we actually understood what they said? Yeah, hmm. yeah. And that, that's, that's a good point. I mean, what, what do you do with all the, the secondary ideas or which one, how you choose? And, you know, and then I would say you're going to have to make it real. You're going to have to make it into something more tangible, um, some of them, or... Um, anytime you have, until you make it real, it's a, it's a, it's a cognitive exercise more than anything. That's why I suggest, that's why I, you know, typically like to use the design studio methodology where you, where you sketch, where you're starting to make this, put it into some kind of real mode where you can start to, you can start to experience it in a non-mental way. Um, and that, that works really, really well because you can do lots of things really quickly. Um, but at some point you need to make it real. You have to re realize this and say, what's, what does this, if I can hold it, if I can see it, if I can experience it, ex an experience is going to be very, very different because in your mind, everything's perfect. You know, when you're thinking of the great idea, you're like, this is a fucking great idea, man. This is like the best ever. And then you write it down and you draw it and you're like, oh, or you, even you open your mouth. For me, <laughs> I love talking about, I have a great idea in my head when I'm talking. Like right now, I have a lot of great ideas. And I know if I would to throw them out here, number one, you guys would say, what the hell are you doing that on a podcast? But number two would be, it, I would, it would come out of my mouth and I would realize that was a stupid thing to say. Um, so it's when you have something that's it's very, it's very mental and then you make it real into sound that that even is a good way of testing it. And it's the same thing with more complex ideas. You can, if you make something, a model, a prototype, anything that you can experience in a different way, you're going you're gonna to be able to evaluate it uh, from a different, uh, a different plane, I would say. Which then you're saying really is that we always need we always need to be moving because otherwise we won't get anywhere. So we can't brainstorm forever. So we need to start making things, uh, even though they're just prototypes on paper or whatever, uh, because then it's easier to talk about yeah, exactly. them. Exactly, we can talk around with everyone. Them. Yeah. yeah, and then um, you then that lost my track there <laughs> completely. <laughs> Well, then, then you have something to talk about. And then you can yeah. say, is this, is this right? Does it make any sense or not? Right. And then you have to be prepared to be wrong. Right. So you can't, be too, you can't you know, hold them too perfectly, too. That, that's, why having, um, that's why having like paper things is a great thing. That's why I like sketching. Because post-it notes are great. You can, throw, you can crumble them up and throw away. You can make a new one. It's, it's not, nothing, nothing's going to, there's no money lost. Well, there's, uh, of course, we're going to recycle the, the, all the paper. But, I mean, there's no real cost to that. Um, and you have to be around people who will accept that you are wrong. Exactly. Yeah. And some, some people say, oh, but, you know, what, you, know you, you have to disagree in it to, to them. I think of a, a good level of disagreement is, is good. I think that's why um, I, I use, you know, the a critique method where you, you know, you do it in a structured way. Um, but you're not always going to agree. And a little bit of tension is, I think, healthy for some, for some of these issues. 
I think we're saying that there is no, as with everything, there's no like set recipe. This is how you do brainstorming. No, it no. always has to be specific to your context and situation. And also, mm. I think nothing mm. is as simple as it sounds. Yeah. Right. And it's it's mm. very contextual. It's contextual to the problem, to the group. And you're right. There's no there's no simple brainstorming. First of all, it's it's a sort of a, one of these words that it means a lot of things to a lot of people. And I think it's very specific to what you want to do. Thank you, Chris. Anytime. So when it comes to brainstorming, everybody seems to have an idea of what brainstorming is. And it seems like uh, everybody has this attitude of, of course, let's do a brainstorming session. And you just kind of think that, well, a brainstorming session will go fast and it's something that anyone can do and it's easy to set up. But as it turns out, a brainstorming session can be incredibly complex and need a lot of planning and a lot of work to turn out right. Yeah, so so many of the things I guess that we deal with is that it looks simple on the surface. You know, you can you can grab that pile of, of sticky notes and throw them out and we can all like start scribbling things down. And that that little task is simple, but the structure and mechanism and, and thinking behind all this is much more complex. And I think uh, I was reflecting over the whole chat with Chris. There was lots of useful tips, but also this thought kept coming up of we're papering the cracks. A lot of the tips that Chris gave are excellent, but he was very professionally, very, very adaptly um, picking up on things that were broken yeah, and papering the cracks, uh, adapting what he was doing to a situation which he which was broken, but he would he would be able to fix it as the facilitator, as the manager of these these workshops. I think he, he said like um, a lot of it is um, you know, down to social dynamics. You can't you can't kind of fix the social dynamics when you're in the group, but you can adapt and adjust f- for those social dynamics once you've realised they exist. Exactly. That makes me think that the brainstorming session with a good facilitator actually turns into a learning moment for the organization because you might discover things in the brainstorming session that weren't even part of what you were trying to uh, learn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Chris um, pointed out about like question storming instead of brainstorming. Hmm. And you know, to focus on what, why you're actually and why you're doing it. And and I tried to, to get Chris to... I suppose jump on my cause of the fact that I think a lot of the time we do brainstorming instead of research. And Chris goes, oh, but the research we can use as input. And I, I realized that Chris would be, he would manage a situation so that if you buy things like question storming or the way he would structure the, the event, the session, um, if he realized you hadn't done the research, he'd get you to a point of realizing that you hadn't done the research and then the, 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 the fact that you need to do it before going on. Exactly. He wouldn't tell them, oh, you haven't done the research. He would actually, yeah. So when people are doing the wrong thing, you don't just tell them they're doing the wrong thing. You actually help them discover what they've done wrong. And you don't just plow on doing the wrong thing. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, Mm. reflecting back, I mean, Chris's coaching um, qualities do shine through on his tips and advice. um, Mm. And it just makes you realize the... The, the power of having a good facilitator in these sessions and how many times I've sat through very poor brainstorming sessions uh, or ad hoc sessions, I guess, mm. which are just papering the cracks. 
Right, and that, that's what something I was thinking as well. How, what percentage of all the brainstorming sessions I've been in have actually been good brainstorming sessions? Just a, a minuscule amount of them, I would I would assume actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose thinking back, how many times have you been in sessions where it's been a a a, a good independent facilitator? Right. I mean, it's it's. In my world, it's rare that mm. we've had a facilitator who I'd, I'd pro, you know I'd properly consider to be a facilitator rather than someone who has been um, self-appointed or um, is a default. Yeah, and that also makes me think about how important it is for all organizations to evaluate uh, what they're doing in terms of workshops and brainstorming sessions. Because another favorite uh, snippet that I think Chris was on to was this. Um, uh, progress towards what? Because it always feels like we're moving forward. If we, we've done this brainstorming session, it feels like we've done something good. Uh, but without all the other things we talked about, like the setup, the onboarding, the offboarding, the follow-up, and, and making sure that we're working towards a common goal, without all that, how do we know we're even moving in the right direction? Absolutely. And I'm wondering as well about how I, how you deal with the situations of being thrown into ad hoc um, brainstorming sessions yeah how do you how do you empower yourself as an individual in that group to to steer it to a good conclusion or or to the to a better um, format that's a really good point I mean that's something I, excellent takeaway for all listeners uh, getting these ideas of how a good workshop and brainstorming session should be and that Actually, probably you can think think about that a bit and, and imagine some questions you would ask to also surface what is wrong in the current session you're in and perhaps even make it better as you're sitting in it. Yeah. Very practical and useful tips. Mm. Recommended listening, Pai. Yeah, I noticed you wrote down toxic dogmatism. That's something I hadn't thought about for a while now. Uh, it's one of Lisa's articles, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is the first one we did um, over yes. a year ago, mm. episode two five two, and in her article from that 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 episode is based on, um, she does actually call out journey maps. I think oh, about yeah. um, calling out personas as well, mm. um, and you brought up um, how much you liked um, the fact she'd called out journey maps, mm. and, and I took it a little bit step further and called out brainstorming um, right. in in that show. Mm. So maybe worthwhile going back and listening to see what we said then and how it ties mm -hmm. in with what Chris has said now. Um, and on top of that, I had another one, which I think is essential listening. Uh, not just recommended listening. Now I've just upped it and said essential listening. Yeah. Episode 183, which is Meeting Design with Kevin Hoffman. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's so practical, extremely practical. <laughs> I see why you say essential. Yes. Yeah. I think given, given my reflection and thought about mm. how you'd steer these mm. brain, no, mm. situations where you aren't quite on course into something better, Kevin's advice in that episode, I think, will be essential. Mm. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side.
So last week I was really angry at my friend Mark for stealing my dictionary. Yeah, you're really angry at Mark. Yeah, I had to tell him, Mark, my words. <laughs>